Trade Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a, a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture in the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I'm one of the co-hosts of this fantastic not-for-profit show. My name is Rick Snyder. I'm the CEO of Invisible Edge and the author of Decisive Intuition and proud co-founder of this show where we really explore the depths of human, digital, and social transformation. And today we're going to be talking a bit about each of those topics as we get into women in science and vaccine innovation, which is very timely for this day and age. Um, with an incredible uh, Dr. Asel Sartbaeva, which we'll introduce in a moment here. But first, I want to introduce our amazing collaborator, co-founder, co-host, Af Moholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone, to uh, yet another fantastic uh, Straight Talk Live show. I'm, of course, the co-creator of this uh, wonderful not-for-profit impact organization, come think tank, actually. To some extent, Rick, this is turning into a research a laboratory of sorts of ideas and um, opinions and views. And uh, today I'm very, very, very excited and um, quite humbled to have a scientist and an academic on the show who is um, going to tell us about a very um, compelling personal story, but of course, uh, talk us through what we have connected with as uh, regular people. Uh, the idea of this vaccine that over the last 24 months has saved many of us and protected us against the, the COVID um, virus. Without further ado, uh, let's not delay. I want to uh, throw the ball back at Rick. You can, have, you can call it a cricket ball, you can call it a baseball, you can call it a football, whatever you wish. This time the choice is yours. We're going to pickleball then. Pickleball, there we go. And, and and with that, you know, so Asel, do you know a pickleball? Yes, I do. I do. Oh, see, app. Other people play it too. <laughs> ah, okay, thank you, everyone. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to introduce our amazing guest, uh, Dr. Asel Sartbaeva. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. Hello, um, I I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me, Rick and Af. Um, it's mm -hmm. great to be here, and um, I really am looking forward to uh, speaking about um all these issues which you've just highlighted about, uh, about vaccines, about women in yeah. science, um, about sort of gender in STEM and all of those things. Yeah. Excellent. Well, you have an amazing um, biography and obviously your associate professor now at University of Bath uh, in the south of the UK. And um, you have a PhD in Cambridge, a master's in philosophy as well at Cambridge. So that translates to you all, all you out there. She's wicked smart. <laughs> Wicked smart, uh, and and I love that kind of diversity of you know study and background. It's really fascinating. You don't see, I don't think you see a lot of times philosophy and science together in this level. Um, and also, you're from Kyrgyzstan and, and a female a leader scientist. Um, that's been quite a journey. So we would definitely want to get into that today. You've mm -hmm. also won a Woman of the Year award in 2021 by FDM Every Woman in Technology. So congratulations on a lot of prestigious awards you. you've won, including some of your recent work in vaccine innovation, which we're going to be getting into deeply today as well. But let's start with, you know, one of your, um, one of the things that I read about you is that science was your escape. Um, could you say more about that? How has science been, um, in a way, a, a gift for you and, and a pathway forward uh, and, a, and a way of opening new doors and opportunities for you? So back in the days when uh, when I lived in Kyrgyzstan, so um, Soviet Union um, uh, broke down when I was in high school. So I was about, um, I think I was about 15 at the time. And um, around the same time, um, uh, my parents also got divorced. So it was um, deeply sort of um, personal on one hand, but also around me in the whole country, there was a big change happening. Obviously, uh, there was a lot of excitement about the, something new, um, well, something new for the country, something completely which we haven't seen before uh, on one hand, but 
quite scary too because um suddenly this whole world around us was breaking you know um i mean on personal level it manifested in quite a lot of hardship at the time because both my parents um just before that lost their jobs um pretty much majority of the country uh, people in the country have lost their jobs suddenly um pretty much overnight and um, I remember we, we lived uh, quite far away from the city, so I had to travel to, to school um, uh, by, by bus, um, and the buses just stopped running, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, there was, there was a, lot of, um, a, a lot of really hard things, like, for example, how do I get to, to, to school? And sometimes we didn't have money for food. Um, so there were, like, lots of things changing, some exciting, some quite hard, and some quite scary, to be honest, at the time. And then also my parents got divorced at around the, t the same time. Mm -hmm. So um, in my personal life, there was a lot of change happening, obviously. So uh, my parents actually are from the uh, more from art background. My father went to art school. Um, my mother went to, uh, studied history uh, and um, ethnography. They both went to Russia back in the day and during the Soviet Union because that was the only way to get really good education at the time. However, when I was finishing my school, um, suddenly the doors opened, the iron curtain fell. Mm. So suddenly I had actually opportunities to go abroad. Mm -hmm. um, opportunity was there, but mm -hmm. I didn't have money. So I, I couldn't travel personally because obviously I, I, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't, I couldn't even afford just, you know, sometimes I couldn't afford to go on the bus to school. So it was that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So for me, the only way... Um, well, actually, in the beginning, when, when I start, when I got interested in science, for me, um, science definitely was an escape from all of this reality which was happening around. And science, to me, represented something really stable, mm -hmm. something quite systematic, something which is going to be there um, even if the country is breaking down, even if the society is changing, even the, if the politics is changing. Science sort of represented something which is not going to change, I think. And that's what I really liked. Mm -hmm. And also just before that, um, I had some, um, I, I broke my spine um, when I was 12. So I couldn't walk for a, for a while, wow. which meant that uh, I spent a lot of time lying in bed, lying on stretches. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time studying, reading mm -hmm. books, and um, it sort of naturally lent to me towards sort of maths, physics. Uh, and I kind of liked those subjects. So I kind of liked programming, so chemistry. So all of those subjects started, sort of started playing bigger role. Fortunately for me, I had a brilliant teacher of English. So my English was really good. So by the time I was finishing school, I thought, where do I want to go? My mother was really pushing me to go to either philosophy or history or journalism, sort of those kind of subjects. And I think for a lot of women in Kyrgyzstan, that's where they're being pushed towards. Or, or medicine. Medicine would be another one. I sort of early on realized that I'm, I don't want to do medicine. So this is where my mother was pushing me. But I was quite headstrong, so I sort of said, no, I want to do this. So I wanted to go and do science. What kind of science I didn't know at the time, but I, w I knew I wanted to do science. That That's what I wanted to do. So um, I went to the university. Um, I got a lot of... A lot of looks, you know, a lot of my relatives sort of said to me, why are you doing this? Why are you going to this? You, you shouldn't go, oh, oh, after one year, you'll leave this, you know, you'll leave the university. It's not needed for you, blah, blah, blah. So lots of comments like this. It was um, it more being in the university or more being in science as a woman? That was. It's more being in science. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's more being in science. Mm -hmm. Um. And then uh, when I was at the university, um, there was um, there's this Olympiad amongst all of the students. And I chose the most <laughs> hardest subject. It's, it's called strength of materials. It's uh, in the um, Soviet system. It's considered one of the most hardest subjects ever. I remember my father, um, because he did some design, he had to do the subject and he really didn't like it. So he, he always complained about it before. Mm -hmm. But I, I was like, no, I want to go, go and do that. To be honest with you, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to do it, I'll, 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 I'll give you this really, really funny anecdote. Um, I fell in love with this guy who I was studying with, <laughs> and I really wanted to impress him. <laughs> so I went and did this subject. <laughs> love has us do some crazy things, doesn't I know, it? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I went and I, um, I went to this competition. I um, got the first place within the university. I got the first place within the Republic. 
competition. And I was then told that not only there was never a female winner there on the subject, there was never a female participant in that subject. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so it was absolutely shocking for everybody. And the judges sort of said to me, oh, this is unprecedented. You know, we've never had a woman. Blah, blah, blah. So they were like, this is weird. And then some people were saying, some of my peers sort of said to me, oh, maybe you've, you've, um, you've cheated. Maybe you've done something. You know, I was, I was a bit annoyed with that. So I went next year and won it again. Nice. Just, just to silence those people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> By that time, I was not in love with the guy anymore. So that was not <laughs> important. <laughs> wow. So, so anyway, so anyway, that, that sort of um, solidified my belief that I can do this. Um, I can definitely do this. And, um, and by the end, I, I knew I wanted to do a PhD. Mm -hmm. But I knew I didn't want to do a PhD in Kyrgyzstan because, um, because of, for, for the variety of reasons. So I volunteered. Uh, I started working as a volunteer for the British Council. And this is where I found uh, a journal, New Scientist. And in New Scientist, I, I read a, a, an advert for a studentship in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Before that, I applied to many universities. And I got some, I got uh, offers, but uh, because I didn't have money, I couldn't go. So I really needed the studentship. So this is where I applied. I got the place. I was absolutely astonished that I got it. <laughs> but um, I was very happily went, of course, to Cambridge um, and um, uh, started my studies in 2001, it was. It was in Department of Earth Sciences. So completely new area for me. Uh, I have a PhD in mineral physics. So um, after I did my PhD, I honestly, I didn't know where my science would be applicable. Mm -hmm. um, so apart from university. So I knew I can stay at the university. So this is what I then did afterwards. Um, but um, what really was quite interesting was that uh, then uh, when I was thinking where else I can apply my science. So, yes, of course, I can be solving uh, crystal structures and uh, of some minerals, for example, and I continue, can continue doing it, which is fine. But can I do something more? And this is where a lot of inter more new interesting things came up. Came up. And then the, the idea with the vaccines came much, much later. So this, this is 2010. I'm talking about when I already had my first daughter. And I don't know if you've read about this, um, this story or not. This is a different story. Sorry. I'll, I'll give you another story here. So um, in 2010, when uh, my first daughter was born, I have two daughters. Um, I took her to be vaccinated. So she was only two days old, um, very small. And she was supposed to be vaccinated with BCG vaccine against tuberculosis. And this is where the doctor took out the vaccine from the fridge and injected her. And um, I was so naive. I knew very little about vaccines at the time. All I knew was that they prevent diseases. That was it. So I um, asked the doctor, can, can we warm it up a little bit? It must be really cold. And he said, no, no, no. If you do, then it will spoil. And this is what started me thinking about it. I started researching. And really, um, what was I, th I think what was breaking point um, at the time for me was um, when I saw the pictures of uh, people carrying cool boxes across the desert on their back, or cool boxes on the camels or on the on the donkeys, um, carrying the cool boxes with vaccines to really inaccessible areas. This is what what really sort of clicked for me, and I thought, oh my mm -hmm. god, if if this is a big problem. Can I, can I help with solving it? Mm -hmm. And that's when I thought, can I apply my knowledge of um, alumina silicate minerals, um, structures like this behind me, mm -hmm. can I apply this knowledge to the vaccines? And I started researching about vaccines and that's when I started learning about vaccines. Hmm. So, yeah. So, uh, wow. So it was that personal story that really got you hooked into the whole world of vaccines. Your attention wasn't on it before at all. No. So before that, um, I was um, I was uh, studying this alumina silicate materials. It's porous materials. They're really great materials for catalysis, for production of petrols. You know, they're, they're used in a lot of different industries in radio uh, radioactive um, spill out cleanup industries, mm. in agriculture. But they're not really um, widely used at the moment for uh, med medicine. Mm. And th there's some research happening in that area, but. Um, but they're not really used a lot. And um, they're, they're periodic structures, which I've been studying before. But really, 
for the vaccine, for the vaccines, what, what I've developed is uh, the use of the structures, but they are morphous structures without any periodicity in them. So it's, it's a slightly different idea, but similar-ish um, uh, material. Yeah. So, Asel, uh, this is fascinating. I mean, I think one or two points, and then um, I'd like to just talk about what you're doing today, because it's, it's so timely and so important. It's fascinating. One, one thing that I, I picked up when you were talking about science is a form of escape for you. Uh, it sort of reminds me of uh, environments where uh, it could be geographical, it could be it could be a social um, sort of environment where there is high level of high levels of volatility or chaos or mm -hmm. uncertainty. And uh, I, I usually talk about this concept of making friends with um, uncertainty. And the only way you can still survive with uncertainty, it sounds like with you, is you need to have something that is a little bit more certain. And for you, that certain was science, because like you said, it was stable and it was constant and it wasn't going to change that much. And it's got me thinking that in certain environments and the gross generalization, some of the best medics and some of the best academics outside of the Western world uh, come from certain parts of the world. And those parts of the world often are just, you know, populous, highly populous. Mm -hmm. Uh, India being one, China being another. Loads of people, not always a lot of resources to go around. So at a very micro level in, in those environments, you have loads of uncertainty around you. Job, money, food, you're still at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. And often those people end up going into technical roles that are more certain. Engineering, maths, science. And I mean, look at Google CEO, look at Microsoft CEO. They originally come from you know, I'm not saying they come from tough environments, but they do come from parts of India where there was there is mass uncertainty if you if you know the microculture there. And it got me thinking that, you know, actually that level of uncertainty to some extent has a massive advantage because you can focus and you look for clarity. You look for that predictability and maths and science gives you that because it's formulaic. So uh, I just got thinking about that. There may be no correlation and there's no hypothesis to test here, perhaps. But that's amazing. And uh, with that in mind, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think what's 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 interesting here is that yeah, because science give you gives you ability to see patterns, uh, specific right. patterns, and I think this is really what what helps um, um, amongst in in the chaos of everything. Yeah, it, it actually helps you to sort of some kind of uh, it gives you some kind of systems system. I think the funny thing actually about science is that. On one hand, when you're learning, of course, you're learning everything what's been all this knowledge which is accumulated, like in the textbooks, you know, it's all yeah. the certain things. Yeah, and it's it's really certain, it gives you this sort of framework and structure. But actually, by the time you get to, um, by, by, by the time you've sort of, once you've learned a lot, you actually can see, funnily enough, how flexible science is actually. So at this level now, for example, I, I can see actually how much creativity is in science, you know, mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that it is quite rigid. I mean, it, it, it is in certain ways rigid, but in other ways, um, there are different ways of interpreting sometimes things. I mean, obviously, facts are facts. I mean, I'm not saying that we um, uh, interpret facts differently. No, facts are facts. But there are some new concepts um, which are always evolving in science. Um, and they're always changing around us. And there's a lot of creativity actually in science. And this is this is what I really love about science too, is that you have that structure, but there is also a, a vast uh, sort of space for you as a scientist to explore mm -hmm. around that framework. And you know, the framework gives you really good system of how to explore things, mm -hmm. how to not just answer the questions, but also how to pose questions. You know, this is what I really love about science is that, it gives me an opportunity to to pose new questions. If if um, if I answered one question, I can then think of another question. I can pose my own question, which is really great, and I love that about science. So just just wanted to add that on top of the, you know, yes, there is system, but there is also a lot of creativity, which which is really yeah. great. Yeah. Well, of course, because I guess the the new rollout of these vaccines that these pharmaceutical companies have rolled out inside record time versus the decade that you have to, we've had to endure and study it actually over the last two or, two or three decades or more. That's been the baseline. You know, it mm -hmm. takes five to 10 years if you're lucky to get a drug out there with all the clinical trials and testing. And that's been the baseline. 
suddenly that baseline has been challenged because of all of mm -hmm. the reasons you know, because of the pandemic, but also a sense of urgency. And we talk a lot about this concept of sense of optimistic urgency at STL, mm -hmm. Straight Talk mm -hmm. Live. So that's mm -hmm. the whole point. So when you do these talks, the idea is that the audience listens to this and says, well, actually, you've got me, I need to get off my chair and I need to go do things uh, in a positive, optimistic mm -hmm. way. So yes. with, that in mind, um, with that in mind, it would be good to understand um, you got triggered in this vaccine world with that event with your child and you thought well surely you know this cold storage thing needs to be re-examined so what are you actually doing right now help help break that down for us please mm -hmm. so it took me a long time to really learn about vaccines understand how they're made what are they made of um and um our first experiments so we've We've started doing experiments in the lab, um, but first experiments for a long time, they were not really working. And uh, really the first result, I think, which more or less uh, was the most successful was in 2014, when we uh, produced the formulation um, of, um, uh, of, of, of um, the protein, which, um, which was quite stable. So what we did was basically, the idea is very simple. You have your um, amino acid, yeah? So it could be any biopharmaceutical. So it could be a vaccine component, it could be a virus, a viral particle, a protein, enzyme, anything. So um, all of them, if you look at their structure on the molecular level, they're all amino acid chains. And what amino acid chains have in common is that they're all really folded, really neatly folded structures. When they unfold, they break down. So analogy, would be boiling an egg. When you have a raw egg, it's it's liquid. But when you boil it, all of the proteins inside unfold, tangle up, and you end up with a boiled egg. And we all know it's impossible to unboil an egg. It's because right. all the proteins, all the amino acids have unfolded. So this is what we're trying to prevent, basically. When you take your drug out of the fridge uh, or vaccine, all the amino acid chains unfold and spoil. And we're trying to prevent this unfolding. And this is where um, I started thinking how I can stop this. And since I've been studying porous materials before, sorry, I'm going to wave a structure at you now. <laughs> and I, I know it's a podcast and I know some, some of you are not looking. So I'm going to describe what I'm, I'm, I'm doing. So I'm, I'm showing my, my fist at here. And my fist is going to represent the um, virus or um, our, our biomolecule, which we want to preserve. We don't want it to unfold. So if it opens up, um, I'm opening up my wrist. Um, so if it opens up, it, it breaks. We want to prevent this. So what we do is we grow our silica shell around that uh, molecule. So I'm just putting my cage around my wrist. Mm -hmm. Now, when my wrist is inside, it can't open up easily. Mm -hmm. It can't unfold. Mm -hmm. And this is how we prevent it from spoiling, basically. That's, wow. that's, that's the simple idea behind it. And you can do it on a molecular level. Do it on it's the molecular amazing. level, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. We do it on the molecular level, which means that the cool thing about it is that the cage which we are building is tailor-made, which means that if you have a really large molecule and if it's really wonky, if it's like that, then your cage is going to be that shape exactly around it in reverse. Right. And if it's small, it's, the cage is going to be small. So, so it's just going to grow in the same shape as the biomolecule, yeah? Because it completely covers the biomolecule, it covers it completely, it basically stop it, stops it from unfolding, and that's how we preserve it. Yeah, that's, that's the idea behind it. And what is this allowed for as far as distribution? Is this already out there in the market? Is it still in a certain kind of beta? Uh, and, what is it, and then what is the ultimate um, result that you're hoping for through, these, uh, through this work? Um, it's not out there yet. It's not being used at the moment. It's um, uh, it's still under research. We've already done uh, two animal studies where we've actually tested our vaccines on animals. Um, so this was done on mice. Um, we are hoping that um, at some point soon we might either move on to um, primates or um, we might actually directly go into people. So the, the great thing about this method is that this, this material, silicon, which goes around the biomolecule, it's non-toxic, it's biocompatible. It's something what sand is made of, so it's really cheap. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is another okay. great thing. It's FDA approved already for oral delivery, so, so we don't need actually to wait for that regulation, which is really great. 
And um, all we need is basically uh, just to show that the, um, the biomolecule inside stays intact. And so far, we've already done it on um, uh, three different vaccines. At the moment, we are looking at one of the COVID vaccines. Um, I can't tell you which one it is, uh, but yeah, we are looking at it. And I'm hoping we will look at more COVID vaccines in the future also. Does it rhyme with Brizer? I'm just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah. what's the, let's go back to that for a second. So at what stage do you inject this? Or is it just part of the formulation upstream? So right now, what <clears throat> we have is we have a method of insilicating vaccine and the method of removing the silica just before it's going to be inject injected yeah oh, so so we don't want to inject silicon into, uh, into people although it's not going to be it's not going to do any it's not going to be a problem but still we don't want to inject just mm -hmm. logistic on people mm -hmm. ju just because people wouldn't want to have more injected into them at the moment okay. so so what we've done so far is yeah we've developed two methods one for uh insilication one for the release um mm -hmm. and uh what we are now doing is we are optimizing our methods for specific biomolecules so for example if you have a specific vaccine the method needs to be slightly modified in order to accommodate each specific um each specific vaccine because uh, each vaccine is really different. Each biomolecule is really different. The surfaces are very different. So it's slightly different chemistries. So it needs to be optimized each time. Mm. It, it works um, very differently to, very, to, to, to different vaccines. And that's why it needs to be optimized. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're still in the research space. We are not, we are not quite um, sort of ready to start selling the vaccines tomorrow. At the moment, we are trying to partner with companies so that um, we actually can do it much faster. Because with companies, it would be much easier for us, and that's that's what that's why we've, we've already partnered with one COVID producer, uh, COVID vaccine producer, uh, and uh, we want to partner with as many companies as possible in order to look specifically at their specific vaccine formulation, um, because that would be much so faster. That, so does that mean, in I'm trying to, in, in other words, that Assuming it is successful in X number of uh, vaccines, are you saying you are eliminating the need for cold storage or are you saying you need it but not as much? Um, so specifically, this method is designed to specifically eliminate cold storage. Wow. So, okay. for example, uh, every vaccine which is being given around the world today Every vaccine is uh, does need uh, refrigeration. So this is uh, f uh, two to eight degrees centigrade in the fridge. There are some specific vaccines, newer vaccines, which need freezing. So need, they need to go up to minus 80. We've, we've seen some, yes. Yeah? So for example, Ebola vaccine needed minus 80. Mm -hmm. um, two of the uh, COVID mm -hmm. vaccines, you, you know, um, need uh, minus 70 and minus 25. So what our method is basically doing is we are saying we can take your vaccine and we can bring it to room temperature. And now at room temperature, you can do whatever you want with it. You can actually, for example, there is no if there is no need for a fridge, you can put it on a drone and you can send it on a drone, for example, wow. or you can put it uh, in post in an, in an envelope and send it. So it can be done now at room temperature, which is really, really great. Wow. And in theory, can this work for any vaccine? I don't think it's going to work for every vaccine. Okay. I think it's going to work for some vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, the reason why I don't think it's going to work for all vaccines is because we've looked at 14 um, biomolecules so far. It worked really well for 13 of them. Right. So we have some where it didn't, well, <laughs> it worked, but it wasn't so good, basically. So mm -hmm. this is what I'm trying to say. It's not as good um the yield was not very high so that's why we sort of decided it didn't work i see yeah. mm -hmm. and do you think the uh, i mean this is a really really important conversation because it's about saving people's lives um and anywhere in the world frankly and especially as mm -hmm. god forbid uh the the, pl the climate doesn't overboil but where things are getting the environment's getting hotter right summers are getting hotter mm -hmm. in all, all parts mm -hmm. of the world so if you're able to crack this code somehow, at least with some level of, um, you know, coverage across a gambit of vaccines, 
uh, well, one, you'll save lives and so on and so forth uh, eventually. But also, I wonder uh, what other use cases exist out there if the the way you've described this articulately, mm-hmm. the use case outside of vaccine, um, you know, uh, outside, outside of vaccines could be in other environments too. Um, mm-hmm. Have you thought about that? Are you thinking about that as well? Sure, sure, sure. So, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to try um, to answer two questions here. So, so first one on the saving lives. Yeah. So mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, uh, before COVID started, um, we uh, were not, so, so what, about 1.5 million infants around the world were dying from vaccine preventable diseases. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's infants, so these are children up to five. It's mm-hmm. infants who did not receive life-saving vaccines. So if they received these vaccines, they, mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't have died. Uh, in terms of all population, um, if you take adults into this equation also, that's 7 million um, 7 million every year. So this is how many people were dying from vaccine preventable diseases. So a lot of the times, the reason why we can't deliver vaccines is is this dependence on cold chain. Mm -hmm. So for example, if if you look across the, um, so so this is WHO data, yeah, across the whole globe, uh, up to about 1980 was the time when the vaccination rates with DTP vaccines were growing across the world. And then from about 1985 until now, until today, they sort of leveled. And the reason for why they leveled is because, yes, we ha- we can really easily deliver vaccines in Western countries. We can easily deliver vaccines in mid- middle-income countries. But really in the poor countries, the vaccination rates are as low as 10% or sometimes even lower. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is now when we have really good vaccines which yeah. really save lives. So uh, so this is the thing, this is really the area where I think we can really help. So we can we can bring that from 80, 83%, 83 to 85%, we can bring it up to 100%. So that, that area is really where we are, we are targeting. We want to be able to vaccinate that 20% of children who do not get the vaccines basically today, because we just physically cannot deliver those vaccines to them. That's 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 just the thing. So so yeah, potentially I think um, with our method, and not only with our method, but there are some other methods too which are being developed for for um, for removing cold chain uh, of the vaccines. I think with other methods too, if we can make our vaccines thermally stable, I think we will be able to crack this, which would be really great. So we will be able to save um, those those children, those people. Um, on your second part of the question, sorry, what? I was about use cases outside of... Ah, yeah, use cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, the idea originally was about vaccines. So, because um, I was thinking about vaccines, but um, since then, we've been also looking at other things. So, for example, we've looked at insulin. Insulin also requires um, refrigeration, refrigeration. and insulin is a really interesting, um, actually, uh, area because insulin, if you freeze-thaw it several times, it becomes toxic. So it becomes really bad, actually. Yeah, so it it can actually poison people. So uh, insulin is a really interesting um, one for us. Um, And we've also looked at some drugs, um, specifically um, anti uh, anti um, antibacterial uh, drugs um, and also anti-inflammatory drugs um, and some other ones. So, so yeah, drugs is an interesting one. Anti-allergens is another big area. So mm. lots of people have seasonal allergies and we know when the onset of their allergies happen, we know that when the grasses start um, flowering is when they, the allergies get really bad. So one, one of the idea which we've been playing about was um, if we can insilicate the allergens in very small doses and start giving those, um, those tablets to people three weeks before the, uh, the, the blossoming season, we will prep the body, uh, we will prime the body, and they will not get such a bad um, allergic reaction. So that, that was another thing which we've been playing uh, and thinking about. So, so yeah, there are lots of actually very niche, interesting areas. We've also been uh, insilicating bacterial spores for uh, construction industry, for example. So, so, so yeah, there, there are lots of areas where this can be applicable, not only vaccines. 
How, how big is your team? Because it sounds like there's so many different projects and applications. And so I wonder about that. I also wonder competition because sometimes people don't play nicely, including and especially in science also. I'm sure mm -hmm. you've seen some of that too up close. So how does that work in terms of real collaboration versus mm -hmm. you know how other uh, agendas might get in the way too? Mm -hmm. What yep. have you seen firsthand? So, so in terms of my team, it's ridiculously small, too small. <laughs> So uh, I've um, I've graduated already uh, uh, four students who worked on this project. I've graduated some master students, about 20 master students who worked on this with me. I have one postdoc at the moment and two PhD students. Um, so it's it's very small. We we always don't have enough hands, basically. So yeah, we're always looking for more pe people. But obviously, uh, we need funding to um, to be able to to have more people. So that's 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 really the constraint at the moment. In terms of, um, you were asking about competition. So um, I actually love my competition <laughs> because, uh, as I said before, it's a, such a big problem and we will not be, we, we are definitely not going to be the silver bullet. Mm -hmm. We probably will be able to solve some cold chain for some vaccines, mm -hmm. but we will not be able to solve it for all of them for sure. Right, right. That's why um, I'm really, really glad to see actually mm -hmm. other groups. So there are groups uh, all around the world who are looking at this. There are groups in the US, there are several groups in the US, there's a group in Australia, there are a couple of groups in Europe who are trying to solve this using other methods so using pla using um sugar glass and other things so mm. there are lots of interesting um ideas so I, I think it's actually great that we are all trying to to do the same thing mm -hmm. yeah i Asel, are you um uh, collaborating with international markets as well international regions and other your opposite numbers in different parts of the world always yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so i at the moment, I have an active collaboration in, in Indonesia. So I have um, two people I'm working with who um, are uh, pharmacists. The, they, they work in pharmacy and pharmacology. Um, I have several collaborators in the US. Um, uh, I, um, I have a collaborator. I have a great collaborator in Newcastle here who help us with animal work. Um, so, so yeah, always collaborating with people, definitely. Yeah, I've just got um, a, a, very recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a letter from somebody in US from California who wants to collaborate, and I'm hoping we will do something interesting. Yeah. I have one more question. I'm sorry to take you down this path, but I'm sure people are thinking about this, um, given that you're an academic. Assuming this stuff works and it all goes really well, and whatever time cycle that may be, uh, what are the commercial uh, gains for academics these days? I'm not familiar with that model as much. So um, the um, uh, the uh, method is patented. So we've already applied for two mm -hmm. patents. We've already been granted. One of the patents has been granted. The US one has been granted. Mm -hmm. uh, we are actually in the process of applying for a third patent at the moment. So we, mm -hmm. we have protected the IP. And for for many years, um, my uh, my TTO here, the technology officer at the university, has been pushing me that we should do a spin-out company, we should do something commercial, blah blah blah. And um, it took me a really long time. I was resisting for a long time, to be honest. Um, but it looks like we are going this way. <laughs> In fact, I I was just going through um, uh, a workshop uh, about the commercialization. So yeah, we will be spinning out because um, uh, a lot of the big pharma companies, especially, now coming back to us and they're saying we want to work with a company. We want you to be a spin out because yeah. they don't like working with the university. They're saying universities yeah. is too slow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they want to work with the company. So it looks like we're going that way. Yeah. I'm exciting. And are you going to be part of that or you'll continue doing what you're doing or undecided? I'm going to stay at the university. So I'm not planning to, um, to be on the business side. Um, right. My um, involvement is going to be uh, as a scientist rather mm -hmm. than, um, yeah, I'm not going to be doing the, because I, 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 I'm not trained to do the business side. So mm -hmm. I, I'm going to leave it to people who know how, how to do it. Yeah. yeah. What sort of time frame are you looking at, all being well? When do you think you'll start to deploy this so people can benefit from this? Um, I think the, the thinking at the moment is that we're hoping that by the uh, early next year, we're hoping to be 
in a good shape to actually um, start talking to um, to pharmaceutical companies, to, to the vaccine manufacturers, um, seriously about um, actually looking at the licensing deals and uh, looking at um, some investments into this company and all of these things. Yeah. So at the moment, there's a lot of prep work going on um, with the university. Yeah. But we're hoping that by the early next year, we should be in place. Yeah. And remind me, what year did you start this uh, vaccine? So, so the idea was came to me in 2010. Okay. The first success, successful experiment was 20, 2014, okay. 2013, 14, approximately. Yeah. Um, again, there is a funny story connected to this. So, so I was um, so so for many years. So from 2010 to 2014, it was uh, just an idea in my head. So you know, I I sort of had this, and I talked to a lot of people, yeah. and um, I entered entered into mm. this. Um, into uh, the L'Oreal um, Fellowship, which to, for which I was shortlisted, but um, I didn't get it. But because I was shortlisted, the university ran a press release about it. And um, even even though I didn't win it, actually, the, the I got a phone call from Google X, um, and they invited me to their conference, which was called Solve for X Conference, where they were looking at big sort of global um, challenges yeah. around the world. Yeah. And they only invited 18 people from all over the world. Um, so I was one of those 18 people, which was mm. just incredible to think about. So they invited me to come um, to this conference and um, they sort of recorded uh, a talk at the time. And the idea was that they mm. also wanted to look at the um, investable ideas so they wanted to see if, if this would be investable at the time it wasn't because i really didn't have results um it it, it was not working and in fact when i when they invited me i sort of said to them i i can't come because i don't have any results i i don't know if it's going to work or not you know it's just an idea in my head at the moment and they were like no 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 you should definitely come and talk to us so i went there and funnily enough uh, at the conference itself it was one week long you know how it is in California. American people are so upbeat and so enthusiastic and so optimistic. So they, they, they. So a lot of people sort of went to me. Oh, you are so awesome! You are so great! You are so wonderful! And you know, first time when somebody said this to me, I was like, "Are you talking to me?" Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Because in science, nobody says this. You know, in science, yeah. they always criticize you. Yeah, whenever, yeah, whenever I talk to a scientist, it's always criticism. They always, we're always trying to find holes and yeah. some, something, yeah. you know. And suddenly, I came to this, and and everybody were like, "Oh, you're awesome! You're so great!" Mm. And first several days, I felt incredibly uncomfortable. I was like, oh, "Really? I've now nobody ever told me I'm so great, you know." <laughs> and then gradually, I think I started to. Feel Let like hmm, maybe maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm maybe I can do it. You know. <laughs> so when I came back that week after um, Solve for X was the first time my experiment started working. Would you believe it? It's just wow. I don't know what it is—a coincidence or whatever it is—but suddenly it started working. Interesting. So and that's interesting. when, yeah, yeah, and that's when it's we started getting the results. You know, started became consistent and. Yeah, things yeah. basically rolled from that. Yeah, right. To what degree does mindset and what have you play mm. into, you know, innovation, intuition, mm. listening yeah. to your hunches, all these kind of things that are part of science and innovation. So I that's that courage to keep going. Um, like Thomas yeah. Edison's famous experiments of, okay, the thousandth time this is going to work, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that was really funny. And I still remember it. And I, I'm still thinking about it sometimes. And I'm thinking, if I didn't go to that mm -hmm. conference, mm -hmm. how different my path would have been, you know? Mm -hmm. And then with the pandemic here, and obviously so much of the global attention on vaccines, probably more than ever in my lifetime, one, you know, 100%, it's in everyday conversations on radio, podcast, television, what have you, on different sides of the debate around vaccines and what have you. Um, how is this either accelerated, accelerated funding for you, accelerated attention? What, what's it done in, in terms of what your work has looked like recently? It's definitely changed loads. Um, it's um, the 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 uh, attitude of people. Yeah, for for many years before pandemic, people would uh, well, some people would say, "So what?" Um, in develop in developing countries, mm -hmm. in poor countries, people are dying. Well, big news. 
sort of, right. you know. Um, and some some people sometimes said to me, oh, you know, the big pharma is not going to be interested in this because they like that 50% of the vaccines spoil. They like oh. that they're wasted because they can sell more. Reproduce you know? it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh. uh, so before pandemic, I got a lot of, well, not a lot. Okay, some sometimes I got those those kind of comments. After pandemic, totally changed. You know, um, I mean, obviously, I've been talking a lot more about this issue. So, so all of this is obviously, uh, uh, well, it's in the news. We know so much more, and people are really mm-hmm. interested. And people, um, I, I can see that people actually are listening to me much more. And there's definitely a big change in the attitude towards this issue. So whenever I talk about it um, uh, to, to 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 people, so if people go, yeah. Now we get it. Now we understand why why it's important. And also, I just wanted to highlight that it's not only in poor countries it's a big problem. You know, in in de- in developed in rich countries, it's it's also a problem. So, for example, just to give you two examples, in US, um, in 2016, in just one state in Iowa, um, I think um, um, I'm I'm going I'm not going to remember the exact number. It was. Um, 270,000, I think, yeah, $270,000 worth of vaccines were spoiled because of the poor refrigeration, because of the wrong refrigeration. Mm. And actually thousands of children had to be recalled back to be yeah. revaccinated. So this is just one state. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not a problem in developing countries. It's just in developing countries, we can see it immediately. In uh, Western countries, we don't see it immediately. In UK, again, another example, um, uh, in UK, what happened was that when uh, the initial um, vaccination for COVID started in 20, in 2020, um, you know how UK is divided uh, into Wales, uh, England and Scotland and Northern Ireland. So in England, the uh, progression of the vaccination went straight in and it was quite easy. In Wales, it was actually uh, late by about three weeks. And the reason for this is because the first vaccine which was approved was uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Mm-hmm. And at the time we knew it has to be uh, frozen at minus 70. Mm. And in Wales, there were only two centers which had this kind of uh, freezes mm-hmm. for uh, suitable for those temperatures. So just uh, transporting it around Wales was impossible. Mm-hmm. It, it's very rural also, that's another thing. So uh, the whole vaccination was lagging in Wales because of that. Mm. And uh, it, it's, it's good now, but um, at the time, yeah, it was a problem. So, so it's, it's not just the problem of poor countries. It's not just the problem of developing countries. It's a problem for all countries, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll give you another example, sorry. In Kyrgyzstan, mm-hmm. when, um, uh, when uh, COVAX... Um, announced that they will be uh, sending vaccines all around the world. So this was about, um, I think it was around March time. I remember um, I got news from my brother one morning that uh, Kyrgyzstan refused to take free COVID vaccines from COVAX, through COVAX, because they didn't have freezes for minus 70. In the whole country, we don't have freezes for minus 70. I was utterly annoyed. I was so annoyed that I just tweeted about it. And I tweeted at the prime minister of Kyrgyzstan. And she actually, bless her, she replied to me immediately. And she went and started speaking to the minister for health. It was minister of health who who announced it. And several hours later, the minister for health came out, gave another press conference and said, no, 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 of course, we are not refusing any free vaccines. Of course, we're going to take them. And But I was furious. I was writing to them and saying, look, COVAX is going to provide you with freezes. Do not refuse. Please do not refuse. Just say yes. Yeah, take them. Yeah. So, I mean, here we have the whole country, 7 million people um, not being able to be vaccinated because they just didn't have mm-hmm. a freezer. I mean, right. this is ridiculous, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what um, what happens if the vaccine? Sorry, I'm going back. My mind's playing on your formulation and your the 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 way you described how your solution actually works. What, what happens? Uh, sorry, I'm asking you a very simple question. So you you know your big brain has to let me off for a second. Let's go back to the analogy of the egg, right? 
and you're boiling the egg. And so I get it. Once the egg's boiled, you can't unboil it, right? Now mm -hmm. you can't go back to the original state. So what is the, uh, your solution? What is it saying it's doing? Is it saying that it's taking it to the um, boiled level? So it's uh, unfolding is when it's boiled, correct? So, so okay, um, let me unpack this. Yeah. Uh, basically, when I talk about the unfolding of the proteins, unfolding can happen at elevated temperatures. You don't need to boil. So, so if you take um, your vaccine, yeah. it would spoil if you just take it out of the fridge, basically. Yeah, you don't need to boil it. If you boil it, obviously, it would spoil sure. even more. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. yeah. 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 With the egg, um, egg is just an analogy, but with the egg, what happens is that be because we are boiling, because we are bringing it up at such high temperatures, all the proteins unfold. Pretty much all the amino acids have unfolded. So we just brought it to a different thermodynamic state, basically. Um, and then it's stable at that thermodynamic state, but it's different. It's just slightly higher. Sorry, sorry. I'm I'm not going to go into all of those <laughs> deep no, that's details. Fine. So, yeah. so that means that means your the room temperature doesn't allow all of the protein to unfold. Mm, in an egg or in a pro in a vaccine. Uh, either either or either or. So what is it saying? It's it's basically keeping at a level so it's not fully unfolded or. Um, so, so, so when you use my method, the insilication, yeah. basically, you're, it's the cage, it's the silica cage, which is right. preventing your protein from unfolding. Got it. Got so it, it. can't do oh. this yeah. because you have silica. So you, you're basically encased it. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so you, so you made it. You, you, you put like a casing around it, and that's what's preventing it from unfolding. Yeah. And when you inject it, when you inject it, how do you get? You said you get remove it. How do you remove it? So, so uh, because. This, so this is where it's clever chemistry. So uh, this is where we have our biomolecule, which is um, an organic molecule, and this is inorganic. So it's mm -hmm. really, really different materials. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we chemically attack this material, but we don't attack this material. So basically, we're playing on chemistries here. We mm -hmm. have uh, we have another um, uh, we have a release solution, which basically it's designed to attack this silica, and what it does is it breaks this. And then we are just left with the protein. So we are, we are left with the mixture of silica and the protein, and then we just separate them. Yes. And then you can use your, your your vaccine or protein for injection, for example. Yeah. That's wow. amazing. Fabulous. That's amazing. We do have a question coming in from Facebook uh, live. And so the question for you is, thank you so much for your amazing work, first of all. Thank you. This person must be from California. Um, <laughs> and they, they ask you, I'm curious when you think of your vaccine solution, uh, well, when you think it may be implemented and what level of adoption do you expect from pharma companies? Uh, thank you for your question. Um, so, um, as I said, we don't think we will be able to use our method on all vaccines mm -hmm. and in the same way, mm -hmm. maybe not all pharma companies will adopt our methods. So that's fine. So what, what we really want um, in the beginning before pandemic, I used to say, if we can do it on one vaccine, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. The goalpost has changed now. The goalpost is now, now I'm saying, if I can do it on at least five vaccines, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. So if we can solve um, children vaccine, infant vaccines, mm, there are a lo lot more than five of them, actually. But if we can solve at least half of them, that'd be great. And also if we can solve COVID vaccines, this is where I'm going to be happy. This this is my goalpost at the moment. It may change again in the future. But um, just just to be clear, it's not a silver bullet. It's probably not going to work on all vaccines, right. and that's fine. That's fine. Right. right. Could could pharma be a potential source of funding for any of your work? Yes. So um, this is what we are trying to do at the moment. We are trying to uh, reach pharma companies, and we are trying to. Well, we will be then trying to convince them that our method is what they need to at least try. Because the great thing about our method is that it's applied on existing vaccines. So they don't need to reformulate the vaccine. They have obviously a line for production. And all we want to do is we want to add our method at the end of that line. And that, that's just going to be adding one more step. Uh, so it hopefully should not be very expensive for them. Uh, obviously, it's going to be some some expense in the beginning, but uh, it's not 
compared to how much money we're going to save on not refrigerating vaccines, it's going to be nothing. And uh, this is what, uh, yeah, we will be trying to convince them that this is the method they want to use on, on their vaccines. Yeah. I guess there's a green uh, story here as well in terms of the amount yeah. of energy consumption on minus 70, minus 80. Um, it's a little bit like blockchain, you know, Bitcoin mining, right? <laughs> yeah. how, much, how much you expend. But there's a really important story around the net benefit of this, the net impact to get towards net zero. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's so much energy going into, uh, well, producing the equipment, yeah. then keeping the equipment, obviously, at those temperatures. Um, and also, you know, the other thing is, the other the, there's a hidden cost, which I've learned about recently. The hidden cost is when, when the pharma companies are producing their vaccines, they have lots of different components and all of them have to be refrigerated. And what they do is when they transport them within their company, even, they have to be refrigerated all the time. So that's another cost, which we maybe, maybe we'll be able to eliminate because, point. yeah, if we can insilicate the reagents also, mm -hmm. then we may be able to help them to save more on this hidden cost, which we don't see. It's a really good selling point on your side as well. That's, that's smart. Yeah. Um, we only have a few minutes left here and I'm just to shift into a micro degree uh, of our conversation. I'd love if you have anything that you want to share to the, the young women or women in science that are out there right now listening to the show or going to listen to the show in the future. Yeah. I'd love to just give you a few minutes just to share. Uh, what would you like to say to them? Um, obviously, um, it's a, a, unfortunately a, a big minority and a big difference mm -hmm. in, in the field and same with engineering too. But I'd love to hear what would you want to share from your journey and your wisdom and experience. So um, when I was uh, when I went to the university, I really didn't have a lot of role models. All of my teachers were male, and well, and also race-wise, the majority of them were Russian um, uh, and white. Uh, I would say, yeah. So um, I really didn't have a lot of role models in my time, mm -hmm. and I think I just thinking back towards my time, I, I could have. I could have done with some role, role models, actually. It would be really great to have them. Um, I'm really happy to be the role model now to a lot of women. Um, in Kyrgyzstan, especially, um, I mean, lots of girls write to me. Uh, also, lots of um, parents of girls write to me, which is which is really great to see. So, uh, yeah, being role model is a great thing. And I, I actually really cherish it. It's, it's, it's really good. So, a lot of the times what I would say is that Yes, science is hard. Yes, it's hard to uh, get into science, but it also has so much creativity in it. And this is something which we don't really talk a lot, a lot about as scientists. We don't talk about it, but it's it has so much creativity. It has so so much freedom, um, which which is really great to uh, explore and to be in, and uh, which is something. Um, I talk a lot, a lot about it. Yeah, um, I also um, talk a lot about the mentorship. So, so, so something which you would want to do um, as a young um, scientist or an aspiring scientist, um, especially female scientists, you really want to have good mentors, uh, not mentor, but mentors, several mentors. Right. So um, really, uh, um, uh, uh, find yourself mentors. Um, People uh, just don't be afraid to ask for somebody to mentor you because pe uh, a lot of scientists actually are okay to to mentor younger uh, scientists. So look for mentors. Don't be afraid to be you. That's another thing. Um, so I I remember the time when I was studying when I came to Cambridge. I was a little bit lost because suddenly I was in this place full of really smart people, and I was really sort of I, I felt quite small and very insignificant. And in a way, I sort of, I felt like I lost some some of me, some of my uniqueness, you know. And it took me a while to really get it back again. And uh, I really, really cherish it now. And I really think that it's important for us to retain our uniqueness. We, each of us are unique. And we actually, with that uniqueness, we bring so much into science. Uh, especially, uh, we. I, I, I used to shrink away from rooms full of men and um, I don't anymore nowadays. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that, that is something which is really important. Be yourself. Remember that you are unique. Be strong. 
and uh, um, believe in yourself. That's 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 much much harder to do than to say, obviously. But um, I do say it a lot of the times too because um, I, I've told you the story about California. <laughs> it's it, it really helped me to sort of bring back my self belief. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, remember that. Uh, remember that uh, you can do so. And also the other thing is. I used to think that you really need to have a talent to become a scientist, um, but uh, talent towards science, yeah. But actually, thinking back, um, I don't think I really had that special talent, you know. I just studied and uh, I became a scientist, you know. So I, I don't think of myself like, uh, as like Isaac Newton or, I don't know, Albert Einstein, you know. I, but, but on the other hand, you don't have to be Isaac Newton or Albert Einstein, to become a scientist and to become a successful scientist. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, self-belief, um, remember your uniqueness, um, be strong, um, uh, and uh, don't shrink, shrink, don't shrink away from science because um, there's a lot of, um, a lot of creativity in science. Mm. And I can imagine <laughs> we need multiple perspectives and diversity of perspectives more than ever today. And so that's, that actually it's contributing to the field and that's more obvious than ever that we need to get yeah. out of our, you know, that old white male kind of frame into much more diversity in so many ways um, to help yeah. with all the challenges that we are facing on a global level. So, well, uh, I, I always um, uh, talk about um, my, um, you know, very strange approach, a uh, strange, uh, not strange, um, um, unique approach, let's say. Yeah, uh, I'm coming from physical scientists, but, uh, sciences, but I am trying to solve a problem in medicine at the moment. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, I'm not afraid to look outside the box to 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 uh, to find solutions outside the box. Uh, and through diversity, you you will actually get get the same thing. You you'll be able to do this now when you when you will grow into scientists. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Can I ask you one last question? Uh, it's to do with mindset again and why people do what they do because because that is a very important aspect of any any profession any field really no matter uh, how complex or technical or soft softer it is in its in its nature um what is your view on let's look up 10 years that's a good horizon where do you see the 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 vaccine industry going given what you've studied for the last five or six years and so on and so forth and i'm sure you'll continue to innovate in this space where do you what what are you hopeful for where do you see it going you can answer the question as in whatever way you want but it's been interesting to know whether you see it's going to be the same form factor but a few little innovations here and there incremental or do you see seismic change over the course of the next decade i'm an optimist so um i think my view is that it's going to be a huge change so uh, I think we, we keep talking about personalized medicine. I think mm -hmm. we are moving towards personalized medicine for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see uh, an, an enormous, an enormous change in, in this area. So uh, what, what I really want to see is I want to see uh, disease eradication. Because you remember we've, we, were, we were able to eradicate smallpox in 1970s. Mm -hmm. The reason for this is because the vaccine for smallpox was thermally stable. Mm -hmm. We almost eliminated um, polio. Uh, polio today is only met in three countries around the world. And uh, again, we have a, a room, room, room temperature stable formulation of polio vaccine. Mm -hmm. And there is a third disease which, which has been eliminated in the 90s. This was rindipest in, in cattle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a plague in cattle. Uh, and again, it was a successful uh, vaccination effort uh, where, again, the vaccine was thermally stable. So, um, yeah, basically, if we can crack this thermal stability of vaccines, I think we will be able to crack that last mi mile um, leg problem for the vaccines. And I'm hoping we will be able to bring the vaccination rates from 83%, where it's been plateauing for decades, Two de well, three decades almost now, we will be able to bring it to 100%. And if we do, then we are talking about uh, elimination, eradication of the diseases. So this is where I want to see us in 10 years. I want us to be seeing eradicating diseases. Um, well, COVID obviously is an obvious example at the moment, but also I want to see diseases uh, such as measles, mums, uh, rubella uh, to be 
eradicated. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see uh, anybody getting those diseases. So this is this is what I'm hoping we will see in mm-hmm. ten years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Very inspiring. I mean, your personal story, your passion, your conviction, your contribution to the to the world, um, and how much I can tell it's it feeds you, it serves you, and it's coming forward. And you're at the right place at the right time, the right person. And I know you will attract the right funding and the right support as well. In any ways, <laughs> any ways that we can help um, as far as promotion and relationships and those kinds of things, let us know. That's what we're all about here at Straight Talk Live. Is strengthening networks in our, especially our network. So you're now part of the tribe. Fantastic! So, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, and uh, amongst the listeners, if you, if you can help us in any way, please get in touch. I'm in the University of Bath. And how should they get in touch with you? If you can tell them where uh, to find e- you, email would be yeah. the best way. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on the on the by googling my name on the website, uh, you can find me uh, and write to my email. Email would be the best way. Or Twitter. I'm quite active on Twitter too. And what's That's your Twitter way. handle? It's uh, a, uh, at Asel Sardbaeva, one word. Uh-huh. Asel Sardbaeva, one word. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then we're going to put that on, we're going to have a speakers page on our on our uh, website, straighttalk.live. So Thank we'll you. put your profile up there and we'll put any links, any email addresses that you are comfortable putting on there. Let us know and we'll get that going too. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed that. My pleasure. Good, we'd, excellent. We'd love, to, we'd love to have you back when you get to the next milestone. Just to personally, we'd love to track mm-hmm. that progress and and let the audience know how you've progressed in whatever direction you've gone in. So I'm sure you'll be very busy by that time and be a superstar. Um, but, <laughs> no, no, we've got, we've, we have a date. Yeah, we have Hopefully a you'll remember us ourselves. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> we, so, uh, I'll come back. I'll come back okay. if you invite me again. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> and hopefully I'll get to see you on the pickleball courts in Bath pretty soon. So I we'll love talk. pickleball. You know, I've just started playing. Okay, I'll bring about- my racket. I'll bring my paddles. Okay, it's on. It's on. Yeah. Yeah, great. (laughs) All right. Thank you all. (laughs) And have a great rest of your day. Um, Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.